So what is the messiest place in your house? Today, we are starting a new sermon series, and I'm very excited about it. This series is titled, Restore, Making Home Feel Like Home Again. Through this pandemic, we have been separated from each other for months, and I don't just mean church. Many of you have not been to your office at your, or your workplace, or at least under normal circumstances, since last March. Many of you know you haven't been able to visit family, friends. Some of you have lost family members during this, and you weren't able to be there. Some of you have had family members in the hospital, and you could not be there with them. Some of you even had babies or grandbabies born into your family, and you couldn't be there to celebrate. It is so strange the way that this pandemic has led to isolation and separation. But we're not the first people to face this, and so this series is going to be rooted in the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah and the people of Israel finally coming home after decades of separation from their homeland. As they return home under the leadership of various people, including Ezra and Nehemiah, part of their job, part of the desire of their heart, is to make home feel like home again. And so as we look at this series that will begin on this Sunday, November 15th, through the end of the year, we're going to be thinking through what does it mean for us to return, to come back together and make a church home feel like home again. But in order to put this into context, let me go back to my first question. What is the messiest place at your house? So I've got some possibilities for you. Maybe it's your garage. You say, well, I don't have a garage. Maybe it's a storage unit, a storage bin, a shed, or a barn. Maybe it's your attic or a closet, your pantry. Maybe it's your purse, your briefcase, or your book bag, right? It might be the trunk of your car or whatever is living behind the back seat. You know what I'm talking about. Or it might be a junk drawer. To expand our imagination a little bit, it might be, and I know for some of you, this is just going to put a pit in the bottom of your stomach. It might be your old email files. It might be on your computer, those pictures that are stored. It might be on your phone or on your computer. What about your voicemails? I got to be honest with you, when I call some of you, or I've even had people tell me when they call me, they get this message. The voicemail box of the person you are calling is full and cannot accept any more messages. So when we think about the messiest place in our home, we might expand it beyond the obvious, that junk drawer, that closet, the trunk, the, the, the bin, the garage. And we think about computer files, picture files. We think about the purse, the book bag, all of those places. But what do they represent? It means that for some reason or another, we store junk. We even have a file on our email accounts titled Junk Mail. And this is different than the file trash, because we understand the difference between junk and trash. 
You see, we know that the reason we store junk and throw out the trash is because junk, for some reason, still has value to us. The circumstances of the moment tell us, get it out of the way, but don't throw it away. At least not yet. Hang on to it until you can go through it. Does this resonate with you? Some years ago, in 2014, at the end of 2014, a crazy barn find, that's what they call them, happened in France. They found a barn, or actually more than one, with over a hundred of the most exquisite cars that had been stored since the 1960s. What had happened is this uh, person that made their money in trucking and shipping, Roger Balin, had been collecting cars through the 1950s and the early 60s and had just been storing them in these barns. He had big plans for them. He thought to himself that he'd restore them and create a museum and keep them in a museum for the future, something like that. But then finances became a problem, and then his health became a problem, and then he died. When he died, he left all those cars to his son, but then some years later his son died, and all those cars were just out there in the barn, and people forgot about them. His grandkids eventually realized, we've got to do something with them, and a couple of car collectors dropped by, and their eyes about popped out of their heads when they realized what was stored in those barns. In 2015, they started putting them up on auction, and as they sold them, it came to over $28 million that they sold those cars for in unrestored condition. One of those cars later, in restored condition, itself sold for $11 million. Now, I want you to think about this because to a lot of people, those cars were just junk. They were out there in the barn and someone said, ah, we got to get rid of them. And somebody else said, yeah, they're not trash, they're junk. And lo and behold, it was $28 million worth of junk. You know, we have even ancient stories like the finding of King Tut's tomb. In 1922, Egyptologist Howard Carter opened King Tut's tomb for the first time in three millennia. It made astounding news around the world. When they peered in there, it looked like junk, but everyone knew that was valuable junk. So why don't we go through the junk and mine out its treasures? Why don't we immediately sort through that junk drawer, that junk closet, all of the junk in your storage bin? Why don't we immediately go through and clean out those junk emails? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Think about the Roger Balin and the car story. Finances, health. The first reason that we don't go through all those things is because changes in life that are out of control. You might think, why didn't Israel restore Israel sooner? because they were overrun by a foreign army. All those things were out of their control. We know that the reason we were separated and isolated for the last several months was because of COVID-19, something out of our control. But there's more reasons. 
Sometimes it's just the speed of life and our responsibilities. We think to ourselves, man, i got to clean out that book bag. But as soon as we unzip it, the paper on top is the assignment page. And then I realize I've got something due and I've got to get it done. We look down into the abyss of the bag and think, I'll clean out those Cheetos later. We look at our junk emails. We think, oh man, I've got to clean out all those junk emails. But then when we open our email account and there's an email from our boss or a coworker that says urgent, and then suddenly the speed of life and our responsibilities takes over. A third reason that we don't clean out the junk drawer is because we've been getting along without whatever important thing is in there so far. Oh, we know it's important. We're not ready for someone to throw it away. If someone came in with a, with a trash bag and said, I'm cleaning out that junk drawer, wait! If someone said, I'm going over to the storage bin and I'm taking a dumpster, wait! Why? Because we know there's important things in there. Well, if important things are in there, why not just go do it? Because our subconscious brain tells us it'll be there when you want it. Number four. Sometimes we know that in all that junk and among all those things are plenty of things that need to be taken to the trash, but we know there's valuables tucked away in there. There are things in all that mess that mean something to us that are actually very important, and we don't want to lose the good when we throw out the bad. Sometimes we know that we need something that is in all that junk, that in all the stuff that I could get by with storing, overlooking, or rarely considering in the daily tasks of life, these are things that are essential to my future. The photos and the experiences that cannot be duplicated, pictures of old memories, or someone that we love that has already passed away, or maybe a key to a storage unit, or some family possession, an assignment you've already completed, saved on your file or on your computer, or an email that you have to know that you can find it if you need it. You see, the reason we don't clear it out is we're getting by okay for right now, but we still believe there's something valuable in the junk. The story, the Bible is full of stories like this, is it not? That there in the slaves of Egypt was actually the treasure of God's eye, the future people of God. That in the time of Josiah, 2 Kings 22, when they were cleaning out the rubbish in the temple, they found the book of the law. But the story we're going to look at in this series is the restoring of the temple in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and the covenant people of God. This whole study is centered around what does it mean to have lost that sense of home, to feel so displaced, to feel separated and isolated, but then to come back together and think, what's left? What's here? What's of value? What do we let go of? What will we never be able to restore? But what treasures are still here that we can use to build a powerful future? And that's where we start in our story. I'm going to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, 
Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and I asked them about Jerusalem. This is what they said to me. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard this, I sat down and I cried. You see, Nehemiah wasn't back in Israel. He was still over in the land of Persia, which, had been taken, which Persia had taken over from Babylon. He was born there. He lived there. He'd never even been home. But his heart longed for home in Israel. His heart longed for the people of Israel, the temple of God, the city of God. And when his brothers come to him and he wants to know, how's it going back home? They tell him it's not. Home is like a junk drawer. Home is a mess. Home is still broken. The walls are still torn down. You can still see the stains of smoke on the wall where our city was burned. And it painted this picture in Nehemiah's head that drifted down to his heart. And he just starts crying because home isn't home yet for the people who had gone home. The story continues in chapter 2. And verse 4, he went before the king, the king of Persia, and he said to him, I need to go home. I need to help. The king said to me, well, what is it you want? And I, I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. He says, there's a place called home. It's a home for my family and for my parents and for my grandparents and for their parents. They're all even buried there. But it's like a cemetery that's been vandalized with the headstones knocked over and the fence is knocked down. And he said, I just can't bear it. I want to go home and make home feel like home again. Well, the king grants him this favor. And so in chapter 3, we see that, or excuse me, in chapter 2, we see that Nehemiah has gone home. I will pick up in verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others, and had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So by night I went through the valley gate, down to the jackal well, and up to the dung gate, and I examined the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there wasn't even enough room for my mount to get through. I went up to the valley by night and I examined the wall and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing. But because I had said nothing yet to the Jews or to the priests, nobles or officials or anyone else who would be doing the work. But then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. 
Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Nehemiah says, look, this is how bad it was. This is how junky it was. It was so bad that when I was inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, I literally had to get off my horse. I couldn't even make it through. It was like a cluttered junk drawer. Now, I want you to think with me about this scenario from a very important perspective. The people of Israel had gone home in the first wave of the exiles 92 years earlier. You heard correctly. Cyrus, the king of Persia, had allowed them to return home around 538 B.C. Nehemiah's work was in 444 B.C. During that time span, the people of Israel, for more than nine decades, had been learning how to live in a junk drawer. They had learned to live with the rubble. Oh, of course you want the wall rebuilt. Of course you want Jerusalem restored. But the day-to-day responsibilities... The pressure of life. The feeling that I've got to build my own house. I've got to get my own farm going. I've got to do what I've got to do for me and my family. The job is too overwhelming. There's too many broken stones. The stones are too large. The wall is too long. The pressures are too great. When I step back and look at the job, it's overwhelming. But Nehemiah said, We weren't created to live in a junk drawer. We were created by God to flourish in this city, to flourish as a nation, to build His temple, to build His city, to build this wall, and we're going to do it by the power of the gracious hand of God. That is what we're going to do. He said, just because we can get along without it doesn't mean we should get along without it. Just because there are other things we need to do doesn't mean we uh, abandon the important things we must do. Just because we feel overwhelmed doesn't mean that block by block, brick by brick, we can't restore this wall and rebuild this city and make home, feel like home again. You see, it was overwhelming because of all the people that were carried away in captivity, only a remnant returned. Some of the people that had been with them before captivity died in captivity, died when they were separated from their homeland. When they came home, they realized that some of the leaders they relied on were not with them. Some of the family mentors they relied on were no longer with them. That some of the people stayed back in captivity. Some of the people came back to Israel. So the first thing they realized was, we're going to have to rebuild with the people we've got. 
They realized it wasn't their fault in that generation that the people had gone into captivity. They were not the ones that brought on the captivity, nor were they the ones that broke down the wall. They didn't do those things, yet guess what? Even though they didn't cause those things, the future was on their shoulders. No, they didn't break down the wall, but if the wall remained broken down, that was on their shoulders. No, they didn't burn down their city. They didn't destroy their homes. They didn't make their homes feel like they weren't home again. They didn't do any of it. But the future was on their shoulders. Brothers and sisters, we didn't cause the pandemic. We didn't cause the isolation and the separation. We didn't make COVID-19. We didn't create any of that. But it's on our shoulders what we'll do now. And if we're going to make home feel like home again, it's on us. Under the power of God, under the authority of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to rebuild. Home will feel like home again. So have you been inspired to clean out your, your, your storage unit? Have you decided when you get home today, and I'm going to clean out whatever's in the back of my SUV? Have you finally decided, all right, I'm going to get a strategy, and I'm going to attack that junk drawer, and I'm going to clean it out? Well, let me say something. The prophet Haggai, who prophesied just before Ezra and Nehemiah, and prophesied about the rebuilding of the temple, cautioned them. He said, listen. I know you've got a junk drawer at home you've got to take care of. I know you've got stuff at home you've got to take care of. But whatever you do, seek first the kingdom of God. Rebuild the temple of God, the home of God, the family of God, and make sure that's your first priority. Because when you rebuild the things that belong to God, He says, all these other things will be yours as well. Seek first the kingdom. Restore the family of God to feel like home again. And it's in that incubator that the flourishing of our own families, our businesses, our schools and communities begins to take root and grow. During this series, I want you to commit to read the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. I want you to commit to join us in making home feel like home again. Thank you so much again for joining us in worship today. Um, we had a great time hanging out with you. If you would like to take the next step in your faith journey, go to lovefirst.org and you can click on the link to take the next step. Um, we'd love for you to stick around for Bible class right after this video. Just stick around on the same link. Bible class is starting shortly. Thank you. Say bye-bye, Olivia. Um.